This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Welcome to the BBNR Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Riley Cook. And I'm your host, Dora Bush Cook. Welcome back to Health Gig. This week, we are bringing you part three of our three-part series in conversation with the 43rd President of the United States, George W. Bush. Today's conversation is so inspiring because the president talks about his newfound passion of painting. Dora explores with him how it happened, what made him become an incredible painter, and why painting has really changed the way he looks at life. I can't wait for you all to hear this conversation, and I'll check back with you at the end. So it's a wonderful place. That's so neat. This brings us to what I think people will really be interested in hearing about, and that's your passion these days of painting. Mm -hmm. So please tell everyone how it got started. Well, I'm a person that has to be busy, engaged, and it turns out that Writing books, giving speeches, working at the Bush Center, exercising was not enough. Mm-hmm. And by chance, and a lot of life happens this way, if you have an open mind, by chance, a guy suggested I read Winston Churchill's essay, Painting as a Pastime, mm-hmm. which I did. And I'm a big admirer of Churchill's. And I basically said, if this guy can paint, I can paint. <laughs> I told Laura and uh, and a friend of hers named Pam, who is an artist, mm-hmm. and happened to be at the house that day. Pam Nelson. Nelson. And I mm-hmm. said, you know, I want to paint. And they both looked at me kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, they weren't discouraging. They were somewhat skeptical. And so uh, Pam suggested Gail. And so Gail came over to the house. We had a nice conversation, and she uh, she was very skeptical. Turns out Gail might not have been a Bush supporter. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so she realized I was serious. I bought the paints and the canvases and the brushes, had no clue what it's about. And so she came over and I had to set up a little area to paint upstairs in our house. And I painted a cube. And, you know, it was one of those moments where it's like, wow, that's really interesting. And so Gail left. And so I took out a watermelon and painted it mm. and painted an apple. And then she'd come by weekly, and I just, and I painted every day. And as I painted, I gained more and more confidence. One of the things Gail did was strongly recommend I take the MoMA course about art history, something I never oh, touched. Really? And so I got online and took the MoMA course and then started studying other artists and the history of oh. art. Uh, and it's been a life-changing experience. I remember that early period when you told Laura you also, at around that time, called mom, and I happened to be visiting mom, <laughs> and told her that you were you were going to paint. And mom said, well, just send us some pictures. And you sent us the melons. <laughs> and mom looked at it, and she just said, oh, hey, there's room for improvement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, then- she did. But on the other hand, she said, she also challenged me in her way and said, uh, <laughs> You know, one time when I was getting ready to run for governor, my mom denies this, but I 
pretty much tell you it's true. I was going to run against Ann Richards, and her attitude was, you're not going to win. That's what she told me. I said, okay. <laughs> Watch. And, uh, and so she said, I don't think you can paint. I said, I sure can. She said, well, paint my dogs. And so I became a pet portrait painter. That's right. Under the instigation of mom, I painted your pet. Mm -hmm. Then I got better in painting them again. Right. But it's uh, painting is a learning experience. There's no like limits. You can't possibly conquer painting. In other words, it's constantly changing, yeah. a constant challenge, which is what I like about it. You know, I'm pretty disciplined on it. I paint yeah. a lot. And what's cool is you have this incredible style of your own. Well, that's important. Yeah. That's a compliment, by the way. When I first started painting, I was a reproduction painter. In other words, I'd see a picture and try to just reproduce it exactly as I saw it. As I gained confidence, I was more apt to put paint, different amounts of paint, push colors, you know, trying to yeah. get colors to interrelate better in painting and it. And that's just part of the learning experience. Mm -hmm. Painting is a liberating experience because it kind of gets you out of the moment. It gets you, you kind of just so enthralled with the paint and what you're trying to do that everything else becomes secondary. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's liberating. Plus, I see colors differently, you know, yeah. and I think about painting a lot. It's almost meditative in a way. In a way, it is. Time moves quickly. Yeah, the great thing about oil painting is that uh, you paint, and if you don't like it, you scrape it off. Yeah. And and you got to be bold enough to do that. And so over time, I gained a lot of confidence, or more confidence, and therefore I had bigger brushes, bigger canvas, much more paint. What is your dream subject to paint? I like painting people. Mm -hmm. I love painting faces. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because I like people. So I painted a lot of people. I painted myself a lot. Yeah. Which I'm comfortable doing after I particularly learned that Rembrandt and Van Gogh painted themselves a lot. <laughs> I guess um, there's something egotistical about painting. I remember when, uh, I think it was my computer that got hacked. Yeah, and, it sure um, was. And they had stolen some of your paintings off my computer, some of which were self-portraits, and the New York Times decided to psychoanalyze you. Yeah. And that's what happens when you're a former president, you know, but you yeah. just got to ignore it. Yeah. But yeah, what's interesting about that episode is that you were one of the few people that really encouraged me because I would send you copies of the paintings I did. And you were always, wow, that's great. Very encouraging, you know, which is always important in life to encourage somebody. Definitely. I mean, I, I don't remember my brothers uh, asking for painting and then saying, wow, it's well, very encouraging. Well, <laughs> but the thing is, what I'm so you know, flabbergasted that you can go and which I think is such a great teaching lesson that you can go from ground zero yeah. to if you're passionate about something, you can learn something new and be good at it. Yeah. What well, keeps you healthy at any age. Mm -hmm. So I tell people the lesson of this story is you don't know what you can do unless you try. Mm -hmm. Laura's got a great line in her speech. She said, if somebody asked me whether George W. would be president, I say, you know, maybe. Would he ever be an artist? No chance. And so in many people's minds, I'm the least likely painter. But it's to me, it's a nice lesson. And that is try things. Yeah. And you just don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's so I think painting has helped you to really probably look at the world 
in a different way. It has. And appreciate and sort of maybe gratitude comes in because you see the beauty and you see the colors and you see. Exactly. You know, no, it's, it's, it's been a mind-expanding experience. And the good news about painting is it never ends. Right. And the key thing, though, is I always need instruction. I always learn a lot from my instructors. And so I'm thrilled when they come over to the house and I listen to them carefully. I'm constantly asking questions about what artists you think influenced this or that. So like I was painting trees and one of my instructors said, you ought to look up uh, so-and-so. This guy painted trees in a unique way. And I did and said, wow, that's an interesting technique. And so I tried it and worked out pretty good. Yeah. Do you prefer oils over watercolors? I do. Oils are much more forgiving. Watercolor is very difficult. Yeah. I haven't spent enough time watercoloring to condemn watercolors, Mm -hmm. but I can just tell you when I've tried, it's hard. Yeah. It's opposite oil. Oil is you go dark to lights, put your darks on first, then lights. Watercolor, you put your lights on first, then darks. And oils, I would think, are more forgiving because I've seen you in your studio in Maine, and I've seen you paint over things. Paint over. You can dry. Uh, If it's still wet, you can scrape it and paint. You can paint wet into wet. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's all kinds of techniques you can use. Dan Nevins, who was severely injured in Iraq, he Mm -hmm. lost both his legs from an IED, and he also had a traumatic brain injury. Um, He spoke at our Achieving Optimal Health conference this past year. He's amazing. And his story of finding yoga and introducing the healing powers of yoga to other vets was incredibly inspirational. And so you painted him. I did. And you also painted over how many? I painted 98 different portraits of warriors, some of them on a, a large collage. Some of them I painted twice. I painted two women, each one on the collage and each one separately, and one other guy I painted. And so, I don't know, maybe 96 different individuals or 95, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Evans being one. Uh, yeah, he's a very unique guy yeah. and uh, has overcome a lot and is now an instructor and a healer. So tell us, and so you, so um, Portraits of Courage is the book you wrote where you tell the story of each wounded warrior, and right. then you have the their portrait. Tell us well, how you- the, the reason I did that was because one of my instructors, Cedric Huckabee, who's becoming, by the way, a well-known Texas artist, said, you know, I'm aware that you painted world leaders. Another artist suggested I paint world leaders, which is a great suggestion because people focus less on the art, quality of the art and more on what did I think about, you know, Putin or the Dalai Lama. And he said, you ought to paint the faces nobody knows. And I said, and it just is one of those moments where I just clicked and said, I'm going to paint wounded warriors. And so I painted Chris Turner, first guy I painted. And the reason I painted Turner is because I sat next to Turner uh, like two weeks prior, and he told me that he couldn't get out of his mind the image of a buddy of his getting shot and that it was very hard for him to talk about it. And so I painted a very dark Turner. And then Turner turns out, because he started talking about what he was dealing with, the post-traumatic stress, that he began to heal. In other words, part of the healing process is to talk about it with somebody who is can understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so I painted two of Turner, dark Turner and light optimistic Turner. And uh, <laughs> But, yeah, it was a great experience for me because, first of all, I, I value my friendship with these warriors. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I view them as very unique individuals who 
will make a significant contribution to the country. And I wanted to highlight the need for society to help lawyers transition from the military to civilian life. And as importantly, tell warriors uh, the best path to recovery, which is admit you got a problem. Secondly, find peer-to-peer networks. In other words, other warriors who've been through what they've been through and to befriend them and, and to talk to them. Part of mental health is to share your experiences with people that can that you can relate to. And thirdly, mm-hmm. then find help. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that it's PST. Post-traumatic stress. A lot of people, and technically it's PTS, PTSD. PTS, but you've taken off the D. D. Yeah. And the reason why is, so you're somebody who's going to get hired, and you say you're dealing with any problems. Yeah, I've got a disorder. And so the impossible employer is going to say, I don't want somebody with a disorder. Right. We happen to view post-traumatic stress as an injury that can be healed. Now, it takes a lot of work, but it's uh, it's part of the vocabulary of helping vets recover. Right. And then you stay in touch with them, and then you have a golf tournament. Have a golf tournament where we bring in new warriors. Mm-hmm. And bike rides where we bring in new warriors, or sometimes we have the warriors who have already been through the program come. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an alumni situation. This this in itself is a network, mm-hmm. and they help each other, and then they help people. Words out that you know Rod Rodriguez, who's on the in the book, can help somebody, some special forces guy, deal with post traumatic stress, mm-hmm. and they get in touch with Rod. So the network's constantly expanding. Can you just tell us? We're wrapping up here shortly. Can you tell us what's going on at the Bush Library and Institute? Yeah, the Institute is, uh, we're working on domestic excellence, uh, good education practices, primarily how you hire and retain good principals. Mm-hmm. We're working on relations with Mexico and Canada for economic growth. We believe good immigration policy is necessary. We've got leadership programs mm-hmm. with Bill Clinton's library, Dad's library, and Linda Johnson's library. We're starting a new leadership program for vets and and the leaders of vet organizations. Plus, we're engaged overseas, cervical cancer on the continent of Africa. We're spreading freedom through women's initiatives in Tunisia, Mm -hmm. Egypt. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're working with Burmese kids to teach them how democracy functions. We've got a scholarship program for North Korean escapees. In other words, we're freedom people. Yeah. And you you have papers from dissidents that you store. Yeah, and we've got this, the stories of people like Václav Havel, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, the Dalai Lama, right. people who have faced down authoritarian regimes. And so, yeah, we've got a whole history of this, and this is going to be very helpful for f- people who study this period of time. Uh, and it's going to be important for America to recognize that we have a duty to help those who are living under tyranny. Trisha and I had the privilege of meeting the Dalai Lama. Yeah. We were at a conference out in at the University of Wisconsin at, for the, at the Center for Healthy Minds. And he was talking about, well, that he was there talking about the positive qualities of the mind and mindfulness and meditation. And anyway, he absolutely loves you. <laughs> and he's so cute. He's a sweet guy. I love him. He's so it, sweet. What's interesting is that the Chinese view him as a, a revolutionary, as somebody who wants to create a Tibetan independence movement. Mm-hmm. And he's the least likely revolutionary there is. This <laughs> is a guy who is unbelievably peaceful. He does want to preserve the Tibetan culture, and he is disturbed by the fact that the Chinese are trying to overrun the Tibetan culture. Mm-hmm. But I was his biggest offender with the Chinese. 
but they wouldn't listen. They had their mind made up. But he is a sweet man and a good, dear friend. Yeah, and you're doing good things in the world. Now we're going to ask you questions that we ask everybody that we interview on our okay, good. podcast. But first, I'm going to tell you words that make me think of you, and you tell me if I'm what you think of these words. Joyful. Very joyful person. Mm-hmm. Spontaneous. Yes, I'm uh, at times unpredictable. Yes. We think you're very authentic. Thank you. That's a high compliment. What you see is what you get. You're very outrageous. At times I can be, uh, hopefully in a constructive way. Like our mother, uh, you know, hypocrisy is or phoniness is something that I tend to call out. Maybe sometimes over the top, but yeah, I do. Makes it life fun, I think. Thank you. Um, Creative. Hope so. I'm, I'm much more creative now that I've become a painter. Mm-hmm. And curious. Very curious person. I read a lot. You know, I love history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just finished Grant by Ron yes. Chernoff. You and I just read Woman in the Window. Yes, we did. Uh, I'm now almost through with A Gentleman in Moscow. Uh-huh. It's a great book, Yeah. by the way. Really good Mom writer. read that and Marvin read that. It's a great writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I love to read. And so I hope one would say he he does have a curious mind. What three books do you think everyone should read in their lifetime? Well, my view is, uh, and I know this is quite controversial, but I think the Bible. Yes. Even if you're not a Christian, I think you ought to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in history, I would read Modern Times by Paul Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, The Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. It's a period piece, very well written. I love that book. Can you share a quote? That you love, that gives you strength and peace. One of my favorite quotes is from Teddy Roosevelt when he said, it's not the critic who counts, Mm. not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on. I I think that's a great quote because it's the willingness to tackle tough things Mm -hmm. and understand that as you do so, there's going to be uh, critics, but, you know, if you're convinced of, of what you're doing, then it's important to push on. Yeah. If you could tell your 30-year-old self one thing, what would it be? My 30-year-old self? Yeah. Alcohol made you very undisciplined, and you did some very stupid things on alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite meal? My favorite meal is... Uh, the one that I'm about to have. What is it? <laughs> oh, you know, I like a good burger. Mm-hmm. I look, look, I am not a health food guy. <laughs> I love a Mexican food. Oh, yeah. I don't like beets. No. Okay, good. Ten years from now, what are you doing and what does your world look like? So I'll be 81. My world will be painting. Yes. I hopefully will be riding mountain bikes. And able to play golf, I think I will be if I if I stay fit. I hope that I am swarmed by grandkids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got two now. I'm hopeful that there'll be some others coming. Mm-hmm. I anticipate spending a fair amount of time on the ranch. How about Maine? Oh yeah, definitely Maine. I hope so. Yeah, I'll be up there with you. Good. Yeah, we'll be up there. Good. You know, I hope I'm constructive. You know, helping improve people's lives in a way that makes sense. I don't want to kind of retreat from the responsibility of being a good citizen. You know, on the other hand, I don't anticipate 
you know, being the, the critic of the current whoever the president is, I think it undermines the presidency and I think it's not good for the country. Yeah. If you could sit next to anyone tonight at dinner, who would that be? Other than my favorite sister? Yeah. Okay. So I can't um, come. Winston Churchill. Mm. That'd be interesting. Well, what would you talk about, world affairs or painting? Oh, well, first both? of all, well, first both. But first of all, as I understand the man's nature, is I wouldn't talk about anything. I'd be listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I love you. I love you back. Very sweet. Very good job. Very good job. I didn't realize you were such a good questioner. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doral. Be well.